it is increasingly seen as unacceptable to say someone else's beliefs or ideas or behaviour is wrong. That is increasingly something that's seen as unacceptable. To say that people should conform to an absolute standard of truth is offensive to many people today. Of course, that makes the whole idea of identity, as that video was about, much more complex. But it also makes it increasingly difficult for us to share the message of Jesus with those around us. Because it's increasingly challenging to declare the universality of our sin sin problem. That we're all sinners and fallen short of God's standard. Or the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. That everyone needs to trust in Him to be saved. Many people will be deeply offended by us if we say those sorts of things. They will accuse us of being old-fashioned, narrow-minded or judgmental. And yet, this is the mission that's at the core of what we as a church are meant to be. Jesus' commission to us, Matthew chapter 28, is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is what we are called to do as Christians. And so, no matter what the cost, no matter how unacceptable or uncomfortable it is, this is what we need to be committed to doing. We are called to be a contagious community. And this is what the early church was like. We've seen the evidence of this on the day of Pentecost, for example, when 3,000 were added to their number on that day. We also saw that after the healing of the beggar at the temple gate, many more believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. And two weeks ago, when we were looking at Acts chapter 6, when we were looking about how the church wisely dealt with the controversy over the distribution of food to the widows in the church, we noticed that the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. This church was a contagious community. And this was primarily because of the power of God at work in the church. Acts chapter 2, 47 says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the number. Salvation is God's work. It is God and God alone who can bring people into his kingdom. Only he can convict men and women of their, of their sin. Only he can convince people of their need of a saviour. Only he can humble hearts and, and bring them to that point of repentance. Only he can draw them to faith in Christ. Only he can cleanse them of their sin. Clothe them in righteousness. And create them anew as members of, of his family. Salvation is God's work and God's alone. So the growth of this church was not really because of the personality or the work of the people in the church. It was not because of their ability to preach or their amazing strategy in evangelism or their energy in keeping on going. It was to do with the power of God that was working through the Spirit 
who was living in them. And this is what Jesus promised them, of course. Acts 1 and 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is what we need more than anything else. We need to remain in Christ and keep in step with the Spirit and allow Him to transform our lives and empower our ministry. Without Him, we can do nothing. Without Him, we'll never be contagious, no matter what else we do. But this expansion in the church was not only because of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It was also because the church was committed to being a contagious community. I think we can see this clearly after what was probably one of the darkest days for the early church. We're going to read from Acts chapter 8 this morning. Just a few verses. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, down to verse 4, that I think just encapsulates what this community was about in reaching out to their community. So Acts chapter 8, and verse 1. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. That's Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Over the past few passages in Acts, we've seen how the attacks in the Jewish, uh, from the Jewish leadership against the church was increasing as the church was growing. From arrest and imprisonment, then to threat and intimidation, then to even physical attacks. The hostility against the Christians was growing just alongside the, the church growth. And now it boiled over in a time of violent opposition. I don't know if you remember when we were looking at Acts chapter 6 two weeks ago, we were introduced to Stephen. He was one of the seven men chosen by the church to oversee that daily distribution of food to the widows to make sure it was fair. And Acts chapter 6 verse 8 says that Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Stephen was an amazing servant of God. Luke describes him in various verses as full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of power and full of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, God worked in his life and through him in spectacular power and loving kindness to minister to people and to declare the truth about Jesus. But the reality of of God's power at work in Stephen's life didn't insulate him from the opposition of the Jews. Members of the synagogue of the freedmen confronted him. And when they couldn't defeat him in argument, they falsely accused him and stirred up others against him. And he was dragged before the Sanhedrin and charged with speaking against the temple and against the law of Moses. 
But with amazing bravery and courage, Stephen stood up. Not so much to defend himself, but to turn the tables and to accuse the people there. His nation of doing what they'd always done right down through the centuries. He said to them in in chapter 7 and verse 51, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You always work against what God is doing through his spirit. And in a violent rage, the crowd dragged him out of the city and brutally stoned him to death. But even as he was dying, Stephen expressed that same faith and power and grace as he prayed, first of all, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then, amazingly, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. Stephen went to be with his Lord. But it was a great loss to the church in Jerusalem. And I'm not surprised that godly men mourned deeply for him. Stephen, he was the first martyr of the church age. But of course he wasn't the last. In fact, like a sudden storm, a reading this morning says how the killing of Stephen released a wave of hatred and persecution against the church. Verse 1, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And this sustained action against the church was spearheaded by a young Pharisee called Saul. On the day of Stephen's death, Saul was there giving approval to his death. He'd looked after the clothes of the guys who were hurling the rocks at Stephen's body. But this young guy wasn't willing to stand on the sidelines any longer. So he stepped forward and led a a violent campaign against the Christians in Jerusalem. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Saul was dedicated to stamping out what he saw as a blasphemous corruption of Judaism, his religion. So he arrested all the believers he could find, whoever they were. And as a result of them, many of them lost their lives. Later, with deep regret, he would say, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. Now, I don't think the Christians would be surprised at all of this. Jesus had promised them that the world would hate them. Jesus had promised them that those who would attack them and those who would kill them would actually think that they were serving God. But he'd also encouraged them that victory would ultimately be theirs. John chapter 16, 33 In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What an amazing encouragement these words must have been to them. But it wouldn't have taken away all of the pain of these experiences. This was an incredibly dangerous and difficult time to be a follower of Jesus. And so in an effort to escape this persecution, many of them left Jerusalem. All, of the, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, it says. This church was dispersed throughout Judea and Samaria, the, the surrounding area. 
in many ways, this is the end of an era for the church. No longer would all the Christians be together, just in one location, meeting in one place, as one community. From then on, the body of Christ was a scattered community, spread out throughout the world. But, this was not the disaster that it would originally have felt like. This was not a disaster. This was not a tragedy. This was not the enemy getting the upper hand against God and God's kingdom. In fact, this was a crucial step in the growth and the expansion of the church. Centuries earlier, Joseph said to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You remember how God turned the evil actions of Joseph's brothers against him and used them to take Joseph to Egypt to save the lives of thousands, maybe even millions of people. And God was doing the same again in the life of the early church. He was working through the evil actions of evil men and using it for amazing good in the salvation of many lives. In fact, through this painful and difficult time, God was fulfilling the promise that he gave to his disciples. Acts 1 and 8 again. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. Jesus had promised that the truth of the gospel was going to spread out throughout Jeru- from Jerusalem to, to the ends of the earth. And amazingly, God was using the violent persecution of the church to start to fulfill this promise and accomplish his plan. God was using the evil actions of evil men accomplish the saving of many lives. But this was only a reality because of the constant proclamation of the believers. Because of verse 4 of chapter 8. Which I think is just an amazing verse. That those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, we don't know how they all did this. Some, like Philip, stood in the streets and preached in the cities and shared their faith with strangers along the road. Others, like Paul, met in synagogues and prayer meetings. But many others probably quietly and simply just shared their faith with their family and their friends and their neighbours. They were like Peter and John who said, We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And I think this is such a crucial, a crucial truth for us to grasp this morning. Especially at this point, in, at the start of September. Because we've just finished our summer outreach. But we need to make sure that this is not the end of our evangelism for this year. We mustn't think, well, that's that evangelism done. We can go on to our other stuff now. 
sharing our faith isn't supposed to be an activity that we do now and again. Rather, it's supposed to be a lifestyle. As we live out God's call to be an ambassador for Christ, wherever we go, whoever we meet, and in whatever way we can, this is supposed to be part of who we are and part of our DNA and just part of what we do every day of the, of every day of the week. This verse 4 is particularly amazing because we would have understood if these men and women had gone into hiding, if they'd become secret disciples, or even if they just laid low for a while. Think about it. Many of their brothers and sisters in Christ had been arrested. Some of them had been brutally killed. They were also now disconnected from their church, scattered among the community. And their apostles, the apostles, their leaders and their teachers, were now miles away, back in Jerusalem. So these isolated Christians, beaten up, scattered among the place, separated from their their church family, separated from their leadership, separated from those who'd helped them to grow in Christ. But they didn't use that as an excuse to hide away from other people. Luke says simply that they preached wherever they went. They didn't retreat into holy huddles. They didn't cut themselves off from the real world. They didn't set up little monastic communities all over this region, separate and isolated from the general population. Instead, they went to live among everyday people. They went and lived in their towns and cities. They worked alongside them. They lived next door to them. They shared their lives with them. This was Jesus' prayer for his disciples in John chapter 17. Verse 15, it says this, My prayer, Jesus' prayer, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Then he went on to say, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We, as believers, we are not of this world. So we mustn't be like the world. We are called to be different and distinct from those people around us. But if we are going to be contagious in leading people to Jesus, then we need to be in this world. We need to be willing to spend time with people. Share our lives with them. Like these believers, we need to be willing to get close to people. Even if, we, even if they're very different from us, even if their beliefs or their behaviour is offensive to us, we need to get close to people. We need to be in this world, but not like this world. But we also need the courage to speak up about our Lord with them. Despite this opposition... The believers didn't keep silent. With amazing courage, they preached. I think that's just an amazing statement, isn't it? 
at such a difficult time in the lives of the believers, they didn't take a break from sharing the gospel. They didn't say, oh well, look, I'm going to keep my head down for a while. And I think that's such a powerful challenge to us today. There will always be reasons why we could, th- what we could think up, why we cannot be a contagious Christian. We might feel afraid of how people might react, what they might say or what they might do if we tell them about Jesus. We might have already suffered as a result of sharing our faith. We might have been ridiculed or ostracized or, or just separated from people. We might be the only Christian in our family or in our workplace or in our school or in our street. We might not feel gifted or qualified or able as others who can eloquently preach the gospel and we might feel that we're really not very good at it. But even although our situation might be difficult and our limitations and weaknesses might be all too apparent, God wants each of us to be committed to sharing the gospel. This is what we are called to. And so we need to hear the words of of the Lord to Paul when he was struggling with the challenge of sharing the gospel in the, the immoral and idolatrous city of Corinth. It says, one night the Lord came and spoke to me. He says this, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Yes, it's difficult to share our faith in our culture, in our time, in our generation, with our family, our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues. Yeah, it's tough. But we mustn't be afraid. We must keep on speaking. We mustn't be silent. And Jesus is with us. That's the reason why we can have that courage. These believers weren't only courageous in sharing the message. They're also clear about what the message was. They preached the word. They didn't share their thoughts and opinions. They didn't pass on the traditions of their community or the latest research from the the theological colleges in Jerusalem. That's not what they were about. Instead, their message was God's word. Not a man-made religion. Rather, the revelation of God through Jesus. The good news that they shared was about the person and the preaching and the power of Jesus for salvation. And that's the same message that we need to share today. As Paul challenged Timothy, we need to preach the word. This world doesn't need new ideas. Doesn't need novel spirituality or a reinvented theology. It simply needs the church to continue to share the unchanging word of God. That's what this world needs. Yes, we can change how we package that truth. We can speak, we can present it in relevant ways, meaningful ways to our generation. Of course we can. 
But we need to be clear that the message that we preach, the message that we share, is the same gospel message that the early church declared so clearly. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an amazing message we have. We need to be clear about what that message is. Not get lost in all of the complexity and all of the arguments and controversies out there. But we need to be clear and declare a clear message. That we believe in Jesus, the Saviour of the world. And we need to be convinced of the importance of that message. And the need of people to hear it. The believers risked everything to share the gospel with everyone they met, because they were convinced that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. They knew that those that they met in their lives were lost. And were heading to a lost eternity. And they knew that Jesus was the only way to be forgiven. The only way to be reconciled to God. The only way to heaven. And so they were willing to speak up no matter what the cost. No matter what people thought about them or did to them. I wonder if we are willing to face this reality. It's not an easy or a comfortable reality to accept, is it? It's deeply uncomfortable to think about the millions of people today that are lost and living without Christ. It's painful to think about our loved ones who do not know, who do not yet know Him, and so are still under God's wrath. And yet Jesus made it clear that there is no other way. Jesus said, "I am the way and the truth and the life." No one comes to the Father except through me. And if we are going to passionately share Jesus with our generation, then we need to be convinced that this is true. That Jesus really is the only hope for this world. But finally, we also need to care enough about those who are lost. The word, wherever they went, these believers expressed amazing compassion. They loved people so much that they were willing to risk everything to tell them about Jesus. They were literally laying down their lives so that others could hear about Jesus. Years later, Paul wrote that the driving force of his evangelism was that Christ's love compels us. Jesus' love had so impacted his heart that he was just compelled to tell people about Jesus. It was Jesus' love that moved him and and that motivated him and strengthened him and energized him. So he kept on going despite all that he suffered. It's that same love that should be a driving force in our lives. The love that we've been celebrating this morning and singing about, your love is amazing. It's that same love that should drive us in our lives to share this message, message 
with those around us. Because just as we are just amazed that God loves us, we celebrate that God loves every single buddy that is around us as well. So it was far from easy for this early church to speak up for Jesus. And yet they refused to be silenced. Instead, with courage and clarity and conviction and compassion, they got close to people so that they could lead them to faith in Jesus. And today, it's still tough to tell people about Jesus. But I pray that each day we'll have that same commitment to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us so that we might be the church that God meant us to be. So that we might be a contagious community.